If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were there worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This is the word of the Lord. Over the weekend, we, uh, I sent out an email that had a video in it to, to all the members here at Jubilee Church uh, announcing some very exciting news um, that had a little twinge of sadness, and then it had, then you got back to being excited again. And that is that Dylan and Rebecca have, uh, have felt the call of God to go and plant a church in Kansas City. Um, for, and for those who are new to the idea of church planting, this is not a promotion. Um, this won't make their f- uh, family's life easier. I mean, some people, I've, when, I, when they've heard the news, they've said, oh, I'm so happy for them. I'm like, I don't know if you understand what they're going to do then, because um, maybe give them money, pray for them, those kinds of things. But um, So they're going to go and plant that church. They felt the call. They've been something they've, well, actually something that uh, Dylan has processed since he was 18. Uh, I think we've been processing that with him very seriously since 2012. Um, but them together uh, since being married and then in this past, say, nine months have been or so been really processing this call uh, and then feeling like, okay, yeah, it's, it's not only to go, but it's to, it's to go in this period of time into this place to go to Kansas City. But this is what this, the re, the, where you get to a place like this in your life, it's an outworking of a couple things. One, it's, it's the partnership that Dylan and Rebecca have uh, to have as their primary agenda to be submitted to the Spirit of God. And, and, that, and you get to this place to where you would make a decision like this uh, by a thousand other yeses. So yes, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. And then something like this happens. So this is like their thousandth and one yes. It just happens to be uh, one that's bigger than the other ones, but it's all the same. Also, it's, it's, the, it's a result of a church culture where we want to live out the pages of the New Testament and, and really mean it. Like we're not, you know, we're not playing games here, right? You know, we're, we're really serious about it. I mean, just what we saw over here to my left, your right, um, that's what we want to see happen over and over and over again. And we all get to play in that. We all get to do something uh, to leverage who we are and what we have to make that happen. It just so happens for them, it means going across the state. And so the timeline is, is that they'll be with us for roughly four months um, as they prepare to this next season of life, helping us transition as well as them transition. And uh, the goodbyes, we have to say, will be tough, but they're going to be the best kind of goodbyes because they are gospel goodbyes. 
And we want to have gospel goodbyes all the time. The Apostle Paul made the statement once that he became all things to all men, which means that he was willing and did. He changed his preferences. He changed his culture. He changed his name. He changes his dress multiple times. And it says that he did this all for the sake of the gospel. There are things in our lives, and I, I hope there are things in your life that you will do that you don't want to do, but you do want to do them because they are for the sake of the gospel. And that's what's going on here. The other thing is, is like it's not that far away. Um, and they're part of the same uh, family of churches confluence. So like next week, we're all going down to celebration. By the way, if you're new and you come here and you're like, they said something about planning a church. I wonder if it was this week. That's not what's happened. Again, we said it's in celebration. And um, we're all going down there together. And we're gonna, it's going to be like a big family reunion because what's happening over time is people go and they plant and, and they do different things and, and we can come back and see each other. So there's multiple opportunities for that. Not only that, we're part of the same big family, which means that we're all working on the same big farm. It's just that they're going to a different field. And who knows, maybe God would tap you on the shoulder to go with them. Now, in the providence of God, we find ourselves at a place in the book of Acts that's going to help explain to us why in the world the Neelys would ever do something like this and why in the world we would ever be okay with it. In fact, this text is going to tell us that we should not only be okay with it, But we should actually strategize to see that this happens over and over and over again. In fact, this text, this this Acts 13 Antioch church text, it's something that's woven deeply into our DNA as a church. Before this church ever got started, I doubt anyone was here. In fact, I wasn't even here. I didn't start this church. It started in 1997. And... um, there was a message given in 1996 to the core group that was gathering, and it was a message from Acts 13. And the prophetic word to the church, to us, to Jubilee, was that you would be in Acts 13, where you would have a history of seeing people set apart to be sent to go to their places, as well as receiving gifts. And that's what's going on uh, in this church. And you may be thinking, like, what the heck is an Acts 13 church. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And so I'm going to explain some of those things. But you need to know that this is a part of our history from the very beginning of how this church got started. So the way it got started, got started from a guy named John Lanferman, who's, who's of course, one of the elders here, John and Linda Lanferman. They were, they were doing great. They were nice and comfortable at a, at, a, at a church at the Lake of the Ozarks. He liked to hunt. He had land. He liked to fish. He had a boat. Um, he just having a heart attack too, which so like he needed to kind of take it easy a little bit, um, except that God said, I want you to be set apart, and I want you to go to St. Louis, and I want you to plant a church, and this is the church that he planted. We're all beneficiaries of that in our four different locations because he did that, because him and his wife did that. And so for me, I mean, I wasn't, you know, I didn't ever have aspirations to go to a church, much less lead a church. I was in college and kind of doing my own thing, but my own thing wasn't working, and God dropped a boulder on my life and spoke to me this word out of Psalm 81.10. I was randomly reading my Bible. Or in 80, Psalm 81.10, it says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. And in that moment, in 98 of March of 98, I made this decision to always say yes to God. So I just started saying yes to God, yes to God, yes to God. And it led me to saying yes to the invitation to to lead this church. So I left my career to come lead this church. It was this moment of, of setting apart and sending. Again, what we see here 
in Acts. And that would happen. And then, of course, the, the church had to receive you know, my leadership. I don't know if anyone was there. They, they all left. It's when I started leading church. Uh, I had to find some new people. And so, because, I mean, I was not, I mean, I was, was, um, I was young. I was still older than Dylan, but I was young and, uh, and uh, inexperienced. I, I probably spoke like five messages at the time. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, this is clearly his thing. And the church had to, wait a minute, why are you doing this? And um, and then we would move from we were uh, we the church was based in Webster Groves and we would come and and so I'm like the new hey I'm the new guy let's move from the the count the suburbs into the city that sounds like a great idea and so we move into the city um, and that was a big moment for our church making making that move and then there would be other guys like Stephen Annette Miles they were leading a church in Kansas and they come and help us spearhead something in Washington and Stephen excuse me Seth and uh, Shannon Hine, based here in our city location, and then going out and uh, spearheading, doing the same thing, setting apart, sending into the lake. And then other people you don't even know, like Sam Poe and Jonathan FDU. And then when we uh, started Kirkwood, the same thing as setting apart and ascending. And we, I've looked over at our history. We have given, in our 22-year history, we have given over uh, are not given over, almost given $1.5 million to see other churches planted and strengthened. So we're serious about this, if you're new. And it hasn't happened for four years since we started Kirkwood. But our hope isn't that it would happen every, once every four years, but it happened four times every one year or, or more. Because we want to be this kind of... So I want to talk about what this community looks like and so how we can continue to be this type. And there's some ingredients here. So I'm just going to... Um, point out a few things and I'll come back to some more practicals about the way forward. So the first thing that we see in this, about this church is that there were prophets and teachers. It's good, that's what it says. Now in this church, there were prophets and teachers. This is right there. And uh, prophets are those who spur action. Teachers are those who put things in order. Prophets are those who give us vision. Uh, teachers are those who give us understanding. You know, prophets help to make for an exciting church. Um, teachers help to make a clear church. Um, and it's important to have all kinds of gifts on display in a church, but I think there's a reason why these things are highlighted in the kind of community that we want to see here, prophets and teachers. We must have prophetic gifts among us that stir up trouble, that cause, you know, that spur us on and get us out of our comfort zone. They bring the, the vision that we need. They, they, they have a way of bringing us back. You know, we have a tendency to drift and, and the prophetic voice gets us back onto core ministry tasks like uh, making disciples and planting churches and not just getting caught up and you know, playing some game. And one of the things that I, um, I, I saw how these things, we saw how these things come together really beautifully. I mean, they come together in a lot of different ways here at Jubilee Church. But one example a few uh, months ago is in our prayer meeting that we had, we had an all church prayer meeting, which by the way, we have another one here at the end of July, last Friday of July. And um, we are having this big all church uh, prayer meeting, and there's like a few guys, my dad and a guy named David Harrington leads the, the Kirkwood location, some others, maybe some of you, were just firing off these, these prophetic words, spurring us into action. And it was great, but it was like, you know, all inspiration and, and no instruction. It was just like getting really excited about what God's gonna do. And then Greg Nelson stood up and, you know, adjusted his glasses, and he got up and he's just. He, <laughs> 
this very PhD kind of way, just opened up the Bible and just out of the Gospels said, you know, Jesus taught us that you, you cannot put new wine into old wineskins, that if God's going to do something new among us, we cannot take that new thing he wants to do and put it into our old agenda, our old schedules, and our old structure. We need new wineskins. And it was just like, but there it is, like the, the prophetic you know, stirring, but then the clarity of, of the teaching coming together. And when you get both working together, it's very, very dynamic. Prophetic gifts alone are like a propeller without a rudder on a boat. It's just like going all over the place. And it's exciting. It's not boring, but it can be misguided. Teaching gifts alone without, uh, without just on their own are like a, like a rudder without a propeller. Like they're really good at being precise on where you should go, but they're not going anywhere. It's like a well-protected city with nothing going on in the city, but side by side, prophetic gifts, teaching gifts, it's dynamic. And, and, you're, and you may be thinking like, okay, well, what's the big deal? Just get those guys together. I don't think you know who those two guys are. Like, I don't think you understand like prophetic guys and people who really love to teach, they don't tend to value each other. You see, you've got the teacher person over here, looks at the prophetic person and is very afraid. It's kind of like putting a cat in, in water. Like, I don't want to be around that. Like, you just, but then over here, you've got prophetic guys who look at teacher guys and just think they're legalistic and, you know, theology is boring and it's old and dusty and it's not really important. It's kind of the, but so those, what happens is you see in the church, like the church veers off, you got teacher type churches over here and you've got prophetic type churches way over here, but man, it's supposed to be together. We want them to be together because we see some amazing things happen. Um, and we want lots of them because we want to send them out and share them. We send, we're sending the Neelys out. We want to share the Neelys. You, we, you share me. Uh, we, we need to share Greg. We haven't shared him yet, but we need to share him. He's got, a, he's got something in him that other people beyond this church need to hear. We need to share him. And so help that family any way you can. I mean, he's, God bless him. You know, I'm at, hey, is there anything I can do for you, Greg, while you prepare this sermon? He's like, well, can you do surgery? No. <laughs> I was thinking like maybe like mow your yard or something. And um, and the guy like does stressful surgeries, you know, like if he hits a nerve or a vein or something, I mean, it's goners for that person. So he's doing that all week. And then, you know, for relaxation, he prepares a message on Saturday for all of us. And so it's amazing what he's doing. And we need to share him though as well. And so we need to come along. So we need lots of good. I think the fact though too, before I move on from this point, the fact that there was prophet and teachers underlines the primary task of elder types to discern what God is saying. So our mind, the question in our mind isn't how, you know, how can Jubilee be great? So the question in our mind isn't how Jubilee can be great. The, 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 the question in our mind is how can Jubilee be obedient? Those are two different things. It's not like, okay, how can we be a better church? No, we want to say, how can we, how can we be obedient. We need teachers to help us know what God is saying foundationally in our lives from the scriptures. We also need prophets to help us know what God is saying through his spirit. The church is not a democracy. It's a theocracy led by Jesus himself. And so the church needs to be full of people who are not interested so much in their own opinion as much as they are interested in God's opinion. So there's this time in, in the life of Jesus very early on in John 2, you read about, you know, when he turned the water into wine, remember that? It's a cool story. And um, 
Jesus asked these people, he asked the people present to do something that sounded ridiculous. He's like, you know, they needed more wine, but he says, go get water. And you're like, what are you talking about? And, uh, but Mary, his mother stood up and said, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And we need lots and lots of Marys in the church who are just willing to be concerned with, hey, let's just do whatever Jesus tells us to do. Like, let's keep it simple that way. Second thing that they did is they held the tension well between God's part and their part. You see, in, every, in this calling, there was, a, there was a God part. God calls, God ordains, God, God does that. But then the leaders of the church did this setting apart work. So there's a divine part and a human part. And it's really important to understand that. It's important to know that God is, is calling and then we need to respond. God is calling and we need to respond. Um, both are important. Um, you know, if you've ever done, like you've invited people to a party or something like that, and you do something on Facebook or, or Evite or something like that, you invite like 80 people and 30 people come back, yes. 10 people come back, no. Five people come back, maybe. And there's like 35 people who don't even bother to respond at all. You know those people? We don't like those people, do we? <laughs> I mean, the, the no is okay. I can deal with that. The maybes, eh, I'm not really happy about that either. But the people who don't even respond, well, here's something. God is always, Spirit of God is always tapping you on the shoulder. Jesus is always knocking on the door. And we just don't even respond. So there's a human part, but there's, excuse me, there's a divine part, but there's a human part. Paul says it this way, Philippians 2. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in. So God is initiating, he's working things in and we're meant to work it out. He's working in gifts. We're meant to work out those gifts. He's working in love. We're meant to work out love. He's working things in. We need to work those out. So, and they're not totally separate. So like there's a divine part and human part, but it's not like God does his part and then he takes off and then we do our part. They, they intertwine. And so once they heard, hey, God says set apart, they gave themselves to prayer and fasting before they left. And it's the same thing with the Neelys. Like they heard God, God said, hey, I want you to go to Kansas City. And they just gave themselves. They weren't like, okay, that's it. Now it's, we'll take it from here, God. Like they gave themselves to prayer and even fasting um, to, to, to say, hey, we need to pepper in these times to, to really hear from you. Third, it was a church that on that point that worship fasted and prayed. I do not think it's a coincidence that this all happened in the context of worship and prayer because this was a call to spread worship, right? That's the big idea. The big idea in the universe isn't that people are not moral. It's not that people don't you know, behave well. The big issue is that they do not recognize God as God. They do not worship him as creator, but they worship created things more than they worship the creator. So the, the call to go plant a church is a, is a call to spread worship. And so their call to go to Kansas City is because there, there needs to be more worshipers in Kansas City. There's, there are godless people in Kansas City. They're, they don't even have a hockey team. I mean, it's just like... <laughs> they, but it's in worship, it's in worship that we get a passion for spreading worship. It's in worship that good. So like having environments where we are prioritizing worship of God in prayer is vital to being this kind of community that kind of lives on the edge and, 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 following, and following God. Um, it's not that God isn't speaking, but we're not always hearing, right? And so when you're, you know, like they didn't get this call to go, they didn't get this call to be set apart, like, you know, watching Netflix. They didn't get it scrolling through their phone. They got it because they were in worship and prayer. Because 
what, what's happening when you're in worship and when, particularly when, when you're at a prayer meeting, you're like leaning in with your heart and you can hear God. You see, um, James says this. It says, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now he's always pursuing. But what this is saying practically, James is a very practical guy. He was saying your experience of God drawing near to you will happen as you draw near to him because you'll actually be able to hear what he has to say. And it's been my experience that God uses worship gatherings, in particular prayer gatherings, to speak to people. So we're going to gather next week at the lake, and we're going to have a big prayer meeting with all these churches, and God's going to speak to some of you. He does it every single time. I was in a prayer meeting last Wednesday. We, we pray every week. And uh, God, we're praying, and in the midst of praying, this wasn't on some agenda, but God spoke to two people. God spoke to a young man and an older woman. Uh, about what God wanted to do in their life. We all gather around them, added clarity to it, and off and running. God spoke. God speaks. And we need to have these times where we're prioritizing the worship gathering and prayer. Then four, so that's kind of the ingredients. That's kind of the atmosphere, an atmosphere um, of prophets and teachers valuing both an atmosphere of understanding the divine work and the human work, an atmosphere of worship and prayer. And then four, it was a church, this is where we get into the, the decision, it was a church that was willing to send their best. I mean, if you know your Bible at all, you know that Saul, who becomes Paul, is a, is a pretty big deal. In fact, we're at a point in our series in Acts where we're pivoting to where basically the rest of Acts is really tracking Paul's ministry. Um, that, that's what we're getting ready to see here. And so he's, he, I mean, to say he's a heavy hitter is like a, is a, is an understatement. But so was Barnabas. Barnabas we don't know as much about, but at this time he was very, very well known, very, very helpful in the church. Barnabas wasn't really, it was a nickname. It wasn't his real name. His real name was Joseph, but he got that nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so if you got a nickname, son of encouragement, I mean, you're, and this is the way he was, like he was always encouraging people. So when they needed someone to, there were some new believers down in this new area, um, into this new Gentile area. So they were really insecure about the relationship uh, to the Jews. And there was all kinds of things, race issues going on there. We're like, man, we want these people to feel a part. Who can bring encouragement? I know, let's ask son of encouragement. Let's ask Barnabas. And so they send Barnabas to go and encourage him. And then there was a time where there was a famine in Judah, uh, Judea, excuse me, and um, and they, you know, they they had to bring relief to them, but they didn't want them to feel like second class citizens. They wouldn't feel like a welfare case or like, man, we want to make sure that they're strengthened, that they know they're brothers. Who can go and do that? Oh, let's ask son of encouragement. Let's so Barnabas was asked for that. And Barnabas was a huge, huge believer in pe- people. So he was the one who ran interference for Saul. So as you know, Saul was a murderer of Christians. And he shows up and says, hey, I'm gonna be a part of you. In fact, I got a word from God who says I'm supposed to be your leader. And they're like, well, hold on a second here. And, 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 and Barnabas is like, no, he's all right. I'll vouch for him. He, he saw something in Saul very early on. Um, and he actually did the same thing for this guy named John Mark. We, we read about him at the, at the end of verse five. It says, and John went with him also. So John goes out with, with Saul and Barnabas, except that this guy, John, his real name is John Mark, full name is John Mark. He, uh, he kind of got scared and he deserted them like in, in a time of persecution. And then John Mark came back around. Paul wanted nothing to do with him. He's like, okay, no more mission trips for that guy. And... Um, and, and Barnabas is like, no, I still see something in him. And he sided with, not sided, but he went with and, and came alongside John Mark to encourage him. Well, John Mark went on to write one of the, the gospels, the gospel of Mark, 
And he also, if you read on in Paul's writing, his later writings in Timothy, you see that John Mark became a very important part of Paul's apostolic ministry. So, man, Barnabas was great. He was willing to see through the trouble and, and believe in them. Man, we need, we, the, the point is that we need both these guys. Man, we need, guys, we need Saul's, we need Barnabas's. I mean, these, and the point is that these guys were heavy hitters. These aren't like the kind of people that it's, you know, like, oh, big deal that they're going. You know, we'll, we'll be fine. In fact, you know, they were kind of trouble anyway, you know, addition by subtraction, if you know what I mean. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those deals. Like, these are very significant people, and this is the best. This is the best, and they sent their best, and, and that's what we're doing with the Neelys, is that we're sending our best. We're sending very gifted people, very relationally connected. A lot of us lean on them in various amounts of ways. I met Rebecca 13 years ago. The church was about 130. We met at a place called Orlando Gardens, not multiple locations, only one service. And I would meet everyone up to 300 or so people. Um, and so, I, and so I, I remember meeting her. She came in with another guy. <laughs> and um, she had dreams of raising horses in Colorado. <laughs> wasn't really tracking with God. Uh, the guy she was with, was a good, it just didn't work out. And, but she, she didn't, she got, she upgraded on her dreams. Um, she's not training horses in Colorado. She's not raising horses in Colorado. She's raising disciples in St. Louis. And she, I was able to, I had the privilege of baptizing her in 2006. Uh, and so we got that squared away. And uh, man, she's just, I mean, those who know her, and, and it, just know just what a, a woman of integrity she is and how she, her spiritual strength and her emotional strength. And, and I would only say this at a, at a time like this, and I, I wouldn't want to make a big deal of this because it, 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 it may, we're, we're we're not wanting to be leader-centric at Jubilee, like put all the attention on us and, you know, we're, you know. But it's, it's going to be really difficult. Even those who probably know her well, it's going to be really difficult for you to really understand uh, the emotional strength and the spiritual strength it takes um, to, to stand next to Dylan as he leads. Um, because you, you feel... Like he'll do things, so everything he does, you know, she, right or wrong, she hears. And, so, and, so, and my wife's that way. So I just said something really stupid in the last service. And like, I'll, you know, she'll hear about that. My wife will. And, um, and I get, you know, there's fair and unfair criticism. You just feel that. And your wife, who wasn't, meant to receive that, does receive it because, you know, they care about us. And so she has held herself really well. Because, I mean, unfortunately, a lot of times in that situation, um, you know, bad things happen because of uh, the grace isn't just there, the strength isn't there, but she is a, a very, very godly woman.
Dylan. I met him when he was 18. He was a part of an evangelism internship in Chicago. We were helped starting a church in Chicago, Trinity Church. And we were doing door-to-door evangelists. We were inviting people to church and praying for them. And I was uh, with, with them. And, um, and we were going out together. And I was just struck by his boldness, his tenacity, his unquenchable desire to learn. He came to Jubilee the next year to do an internship. He enrolled in UMSL to be uh, a nurse. He went there for a couple years. And while ser- he's serving like crazy, getting theological training, asking tons of questions, questions about the Bible, questions about theology, questions about leadership, questions about relationships. And then there'd be like these really, these big open-ended questions. Like, you know, he would, he would say like, hey, what should I do with the rest of my life? And like <laughs> over a text, like he would text that question. And I'm just like, you don't text that. Like, I, my thumbs can't handle that. Let's get together and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you. And so I did. And so I've never, I don't do this very much, but he had been, he'd been in school for about two and a half years. I'm like, look, dude, you're never going to be, in, you're never going to be, you're not going to spend one day of your life as a nurse. You should just drop out of school. The rest of you should stay in school. <laughs> don't do drugs and stay in school. But I was like, man, you, you're, you're called to, it, the evidence of God calling you is, is about as clear as it can be. And, you know, come, come on staff. He was 20 or 21. Come on staff and we'll train you to lead churches. And that's what happened. And uh, we were actually going to send him out in 2014. The, the plan was, because he went through a, a series of training, we were going to send him out at the age of 23 to go start our next location. But as we begin to look at the demographics of where we had a grace of people outside the city, it was like Kirkwood, Fenton, and... Um, um, Sunset Hills, you know, and it was just like the, the, the demographic fit just wasn't there. It's just like, this isn't going to work. And so that's where, you know, I was on vacation. I was an hour and a half down the road on vacation. I just felt like God say, well, why don't you go and he stay? And that's what happened. So in 2015, he started leading this location. In uh, the day, since the day he's led this location, he's led it like he was going to be here the rest of his life. In fact, since he's found out, since they knew that they're going to cancel, he's continued to lead this church like he's going to be here the rest of his life. And that's one of the reasons why it, it hurts or it's sad to see them go because that, that's a good thing. And here's why, because the Bible says that, that the church, that, we are, we're, that God is building a spiritual house, right? So he's not collecting a bunch of bricks, He's not saying, hey, look at all these individualistic Christians just piled up over here. Aren't they amazing? No, that's not what he's doing. He's, what he's wanting to do, if, you, if you're submitted to the call of God in your life, this is what's gonna happen to you. He's gonna build you brick upon brick upon another Christian mortared together by the spirit of God. And so when you take up, if you imagine a, a brick wall, you take a brick out of a wall, it's gonna cause that wall to shake a little bit. And the reality is that every single one of you if your desire is to follow Jesus, he's going to build you to, into a community of people like that to where, I hope this is a very long time from now, but if you were to ever leave, you would cause the building to shake as well. So just a little, one thing that we can do in this moment is, is learn from their example is that 
I would encourage you to not see your presence as not mattering. So if you see, oh, my presence doesn't matter here on Sunday, my presence doesn't matter in my community group, my presence doesn't matter in this prayer meeting, my presence doesn't matter, you know, wherever. If you treat your presence like it doesn't matter, it's not gonna matter to anyone else either. But if you treat your presence like it does matter, it will matter to other people. And that's what Dylan and Rebecca have done. They've made their presence matter in your life. It's not the practical stuff that you'll miss, although you will may miss that too. You'll miss them. And people should miss you too. And that's, you can do something, and you should do something, which is to allow your life to be built in. Now, here's the good news. This church is not built on a person. It's not built on a gift. It's not built on Dylan. It's not built on Brian. It's built on Jesus. It's built on Christ. So when he says, go, we go. And when he says, send, we send. And we trust him with our future. We trust him with our future. He is the builder. We are the bricks. He is the potter, we are the clay. And so we always say yes to him. When at the, those are at the, the men who were at the men's retreat. Um, a friend of mine, Brian Hunter, came and spoke and he had this great analogy about how we interact with God. Um, he says, you know, he talked about how you sign a legal document. If you ever, you know, bought a house or a mortgage, whatever, some legal document, um, you get handed a stack of papers like yay thick, and each page is page after page after page after page of like terms of the deal, terms of the deal, terms of the deal. I mean, just conditions and all that. And at the very bottom, at the very bottom, what's at the bottom? The bottom is a signature page. It's where you sign and say, yeah, I agree to all these terms. And then he made this profound statement. He says, with God, it's reversed. The signature page is on the top with a few basic terms of the contract, like go to Kansas City. And the details are here. And what we want to do is we want to peek at the details before we sign. And God's like, that's not how it works. You leave the details to me. Come follow me, he says. Well, where are we going? Eh, I'll tell you later. What do we, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't give us, he doesn't give us the details. Which means the way that you and I are meant to live your life. This is the way that Dylan and Rebecca have given us an example of in the way that we want to be as a church is that we are those who follow Jesus. Why do we follow Jesus? Because the terms are, because we know all the details? No, because we don't know all the details. Proverbs says, man makes plans, God directs his steps. In fact, it says to do the opposite. It says, don't say you'll go to such and such town and do this in a year or so, only if the Lord wills which means that we live, we just, we get, the cl- we get the clarity of do this, do that. And we, we say in our hearts and we commit with our lives, we will do that. And we, we let the details to him. Because that's what goes on. They, they went on to be incredibly fruitful and in, an incredible blessing. Churches spring up all over the place because this community of people was willing to give their best God calls for obedience and faithfulness, but he keeps the future blessing of triumph and hardship to his own secret wisdom. So what's gonna happen? Who's gonna fill Dylan's, you know, who's gonna be Dylan's replacement or how's this all gonna work out? Man, I gotta be honest with you. I, 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 a lot of ways, I don't know. Um, we know that we've been focused in on what is God saying and what is God meaning, telling us to do. We've heard that. 
I mean, I have, we've got a few thoughts. So what's going to happen is that in the interim, at least, I'm going to step back into, hold your applause, uh, to being the, the, the location pastor here. Thank you for holding your applause. No, 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 no. No, you lost it. You lost your chance. Every single one of you, I know who you are. Um, so I'm going to step, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be doing what Dylan's done has done, but so one is I'll step in in that way. The other thing is there's been, there's this new, we told some of the key leaders and some of those on staff uh, a month or so ago, and, and several, I mean, key volunteers have, have stepped in and just like, hey, I'll take this, I'll take that, I'll do this. And so a lot of that's going to happen. We will eventually hire uh, more people, more than one person, but we'll hire more people. Uh, and to help practical duties, but just in the interim, I'll step back into, hey, I did it before, I can do it again, okay? And so we, um, and, and, and then other guys, you know, like, you know, Greg and others, I know Greg needs to work on his preaching, but like, just other than that, like, he'll be, he'll be able to help out as well, and so, and then you, you. Here's what I know about every single one of you. Every single one of you, God is tapping you on the shoulder to take one step, to take a step, and one of the things that I hope happens in this season is that the example of Dylan and Rebecca would, because as they take their step, and your step may not be their step, but you do have a step to take. And if we all take a little step of obedience, it will allow us as a church to continue to take massive big steps together. Um, the last thing we'll see, and I'll just say this as we close, this church was not interested in its survival, but expansion. The church gets in a terrible place when we're thinking about how do we survive versus how do we expand. And now the good news is this church went on to expand. It uh, lasted another 400 years at least. We know for that from history. But the question isn't for us, and the question for you as an individual isn't how do I survive and how do I get by and how do I hold on to what we have? The Bible speaks very clearly about not living that way. It says, uh, I mean, some things that sound really unfair. It, he says like, uh, so you got the parable of the talents, you know, the one with five, the one with two, and the one with one, and the five, the five does well and he gets more. And the one has two does well and get more. And then the, I feel sorry for the guy with one. He's got one, this one little bitty one, and he buries it. He comes along and God comes and says, you've done a foolish, wicked thing. I've not called you to hold on to what you have. I've called you to expand and grow what you have. And then it says he took the one who had one and gave it to the one who had 10. Because he wants what he gives us to expand. You all have, a certain, you all have time, money, ability, gifts. We collectively have opportunity and gifts in this moment, 2019. And the call to us isn't to see how can we hold on to what we have, how can we manage what we have, but it's to leverage what we have, which means that we have to put it in a place of sacrifice. We have to put it in a place of risk. And God's calling every single one of us to do that. When we stand. <clears throat>